Anderson. Hits it in the air to right. Back at the wall, and the White Sox win it. Sox win. All right, welcome back. This is the Feeling Soxy podcast, the Sunday football after. Probably the new format going <clears> forward. <throat> We're going to be doing recapping Bears and the Notre Dame weekends with the White Sox season pretty much coming to an end with the Cleveland Guardians winning the American League Central today. Give the trumpets. Oh, wrong trumpets. Wrong trumpets. It, it, the, the benefit, I mean, at least the White Sox wear all black. So, I mean, it's kind of your funeral. Well, this whole, well, this entire home state. Well, this entire, well, their last homestead was an entire funeral. They went 0-6, first time since 1989 that they went winless on a homestead. First time since 1989. Like, that was in the old Comiskey Park days. Like, you guys are, but, setting, you guys are setting new highs this year. Oh, yeah, we are. You know, <laughs> just when you think things just couldn't get any worse for the White Sox, they pretty much do. I mean, like, I'll be honest. The last, you know, I talked about in the last episode when I kind of buried them for what it, for what it is, you know. They mm-hmm. basically had a whole season of opportunities. And then at the end, Cleveland basically just saw the opportunity and they played their, their dicks off. I mean, they went 18, <laughs> they went 18 and three, 18 and three in the last 21 games. They were probably the hottest team in baseball. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, good for them. They won, they won the central. I'll, I'll give them credit where credit's due. They deserve to win the central. They basically just had to hustle down the line and not make any fielding errors. And they were going to put themselves in a spot to, basically just overtake the White Sox. It was just worst White Sox season of, of my entire life. I basically just went all in on them. Yeah, it seemed overall miserable. I did like I, that's the benefit of being a Cubs fan is like I knew we were gonna suck. <laughs> yeah. I knew, I knew they were gonna be bad. And I know and that's and that's what makes it the and that's what makes this year that much worse because of the expectations of what this team was supposed to be. And now it's now it's like officially done that they're not going to make the class. Well, it was done after they lost that first game to the guardians, but uh-huh. it was really done when they lost that second game Just showed no effort whatsoever. They showed no effort to win any more of these games. And when you look at the, the way that they performed against the tigers, I didn't watch a whole lot of their series because quite frankly, they're, they're not worth anybody's time anymore. You know, they basically had a season of opportunities that they just blew away. They basically ruined this podcast and made me convert to football. <laughs> Pardon me. Well, there's a silver lining to be had. Uh, I mean, the team did announce that Tony LaRusso is not returning as the manager next season. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I did see those reports. There's like a, there was a Bob Nightingale, the Bob Nightingale article that said that they were, uh, that there's like a divide in the organization, which is really just, Oh. Jerry Reinsdorf wants to bring him back, but nobody else in the organization wants real, to bring him real, back. Real quick, why does real, it always seem like that? Like a Reinsdorf family team always has like weird drama going on behind the scenes. All oh, the time. I know. Bulls, I mean, same thing with guard packs and allegedly miking up locker rooms and intimidating players and stuff. Oh, what? <laughs> oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. It was the um, you know, for many years, you know, exactly with like the Bulls, but like. The same thing's happening with the White Sox. Where yeah. Got, where they, there needs to be an organizational shift, and I feel like as long as Jerry Reinsdorf is owning the team, these guys are probably going to have jobs for as long as he's the owner. Like right. it's and that and that's honestly what sucks is that is that right. they don't they don't spend money in free agents or at least spend good money in free agents. Mm-hmm. Or and then at the same time they don't put money in the farm system either, which is why they have the thirtieth ranked farm system. Like they don't do a, they don't do either one of these things well. They don't put money they they don't spend their money in the right resources, and it just goes like their evaluation of talent is just it's dreadful. messed up. Yeah, it's kind of dreadful. I mean, when you look at like the the time frame between when Maglio or Donez was a prospect to when Tim Anderson got called up, like look at the amount of prospects and first round picks and guys who just never even just got close to being anything, anything near. You tell me me Gordon Beckham didn't reach those heights. Uh, Well, you know, Gordon Beckham, (laughs) and you know what, Gordon Beckham, I did, I did buy into the hype of Gordon Beckham. I was a big, I was a Gordon Beckham guy. I was like, this is the face of our franchise for the next 10 years. (laughs) Hawks favorite son. Oh, dude, he, he he was a fan favorite for like a couple of years. <laughs> Pretty so- solid defensively. I mean, he just couldn't just couldn't get around with the bat, and I mean, it just sucks. Yeah, it it, just sucks. It, 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 that's so that's that's that that's that's so dreadful when 
you have such investment and high hopes and it ends up letting you down. It's just so deflating. It's hey, what can you do? You know, I mean, we're used to disappointment and especially um, in this town. Oh yeah. And, and disappointment was in full force today uh, with the bears. So, oh yeah. oh yeah. And that is where we are going to transition away from the white Sox because their season is pretty much over. They're not really a talking point. So we're going to go into the football side of things. And yes, you mentioned for the bears, there was, um, I don't know how to really describe this game. I mean, this game was probably as <clears throat> ugly as a Bears game Pardon as get. The offense still stinks. And honestly, I'm I'm kind of concerned Justin Fields stinks as well. Yeah. Uh, so there's been a lot, like, uh, this is a total instant reaction pod to this. Um, uh, and, and, and perusing through Twitter, there's been nothing but hot instant reactions. I mean... It's been it's been a it's been a bit much and a bit over the top in my opinion, but there are some valid concerns there. Like despite getting a win, it you don't I, I don't like I I don't necessarily feel good about it because <clears throat> what we're hoping for all season long is whether this kid's gonna make uh, a step in the right direction or yeah. multiple steps and just trend trend north. And so far through three games, it's been ugly, and I'm. I you know, I can't I have been manufacturing a lot of excuses as to why it wasn't working properly last season during the the end of the Nagy era and why you know the the you know the new system for the first year new head coach this that the other lack of talent offensive lines weak so on so forth rebuild rebuild I was manufacturing a lot of excuses for him but when after the three games of watching it i don't think it's a matter necessarily of the lack of talent or a weak offensive line uh if you if you're watching the game intently the offensive lines held up actually a lot better than what was originally anticipated oh Um, yeah mind you there's still some cracks like pass coverage wise i think braxton jones has been taken advantage of a few times over larry borm today 100 larry borm got his lunch taken from him by larry hughes oh yeah and six in the second quarter, like there were some moments where it looked pretty rough. Like I, I, I will not, I will not let them off the hook for that. But I would say seventy-five percent of the snaps that they're taking, especially in in the past game, I'd say they've actually held up serviceably well enough to for for somebody to make a play behind that line, especially somebody who's supposed to be able to be as mobile and dynamic as Justin Fields. And quite frankly, Justin Fields has let the offense down completely. The Bears run the ball well. We saw today. Khalil Herbert had a monster oh, yeah. game. Huge day. Huge game. day. I think he was the the highest grossing running back in the league. He had, what, 20 carries for 150, 157 yards and two scores. Justin Fields has even run the ball fairly well when stuff broke down. David Montgomery. I'm pretty would... sure, back, back, to the, back to the Justin Fields. I hate to – sorry to interrupt you, but I'm pretty sure he's leading the NFL in, in quarterback rushing yards since 2021. Yeah. And you know what? The reason probably why is because he can't make a decision throwing the ball. And, and Lamar Jackson was also out for like half of the season last year. That is true. Cleo uh, Herbert, 20 carries for 157 yards to your point. He was just eating up, eating up, eating up. This is the most rushing yes. yards that the Bears have had in a game, 281 since 1984. Yeah. Uh, the run game works. Leap gets yeah. has clearly <laughs> tuned the run game. It was working. And unfortunately... We saw David Montgomery get banged up. and Yeah, that's you know, tough. That's a tough one. But if Cleo Herbert runs the ball like he is and Tristan Edberg can you know, just be a little change of pace guy, you know, it's great. You're doing well. But clearly, this offense has some like, – back to the point, this offense has something to it. Clearly, it does. It's obviously going to be predicated on the run game. And I've seen a lot of reaction from people talking about, well, Justin Fields can't make the proper throws or he's making mistakes because he has enough time in the pocket. That's not true. Watch to the your game point. And, time, and time it up. He's getting three seconds, almost four seconds in the pocket. He has more than enough time to make a decision, and he's eating the ball for some reason. Like, he's not processing the defenses and knowing where to go with it. And some of these are really egregious mistakes. Two of those picks today, both of those picks today? Horrible. Horrible picks. They were one of the worst throw balls I've I've ever seen unnecessary picks and that's clearly on fields because both those plays time oh, the offensive line 100 wasn't get, he wasn't getting pressured hard, hardly enough to to affect the throws that bad i thought and he just he missed his reads like pre-snaps not working for him he doesn't know where the defenders are the receiver like he's missing wide open throws oh yeah and, and it's a cause for concern but 
uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not jumping. I'm not jumping ship yet. My my foot's not out the door, but my hands on the knob right now, and I'm starting to turn it because these some of this stuff is inexcusable. Oh yeah, I mean this stuff is like really, it's really elementary. I mean when you kind of look at. One of the interceptions, I believe it was the first one that he threw. He had Equinonymous St. Brown wide open down the field. If he would have just looked his direction, and to your point, you know, he's missing the wrong reads. He's throwing he's throwing the ball into double and triple coverage. And then when you watch the tra- the tape of the All-22 when it comes out, you're going to see that Equinonymous St. Brown and other guys are getting wide open, and he's just missing those reads. And, I mean, when you factor in, he hasn't thrown more than 130 yards in – the first three games that's it's a little it's a lot concerning especially when down the stretch and at the end of the first half this was when I really started to kind of flip that maybe the Bears don't have confidence in don't have a whole lot of confidence in Justin Fields because I think he has the talent I think the one thing is now he's starting to lack it because towards the end of the second half the Bears had an opportunity to three timeouts and like a minute and a half to go to at least score some points get some good momentum going into the half because the Texans were going to get the ball to start the second half. So you want to at least score to at least put the pressure on the Houston Texans in that moment and three straight running plays. Like they, they didn't even consider throwing the football. That was when I was like, what, what are they doing? Like this conservative approach of just running three. Look, I understand they got 281 yards of rushing. The ground game was working for them, but at least show that you have some confidence in Justin Fields, let him get some reps in to at least try and throw the ball down the field. Now, I mean, the worst case scenario is he throws an interception and Houston probably needs the ball with like however much time is left, but at least give Justin Fields an opportunity. And this is the one thing that we've been talking about is what's the, what's the problem is, is it him or the coach is not calling the play call. I'm starting to lean a little bit more. I think it's just him because he's, He's missing guys wide open. He's missing the wrong reads. He's having trouble processing defense. And it, especially when the run game's not working, like when the run gets stuffed two times in a row, and then you're asking him to complete a third down and nine, like that's, that's asking a lot for a guy who I don't think has thrown more than 20 passes in a single game this year. I think that you can overdo training wheels. And that's kind of what we're seeing here a little bit. He's like overprotective of them way too protective make it let him make mistakes because i think everybody understands that this is a throwaway season from the get-go anyway it's nice if the bears are two and one that's great one was in bad weather conditions which i thought you couldn't really take much out of that game in the first place no you no you couldn't and and the other one was against a bad team a team that's on par with how bad the bears are um and that that should be a game where you just kind of let justin uncork it a little bit let him make mistakes give him the attempts i understand that you know, running the ball is working and all that stuff, but you got to give this guy his reps. But I can understand why they don't have the trust in him because that that interception that you had mentioned earlier, that missing Equinemius St. Brown streaking wide open. Wide open. He had him open, and then the decision he went with was to try to hit the team to commit. And that ball, that ball was so badly thrown. It was so far and away. Like, it, it took him off route, and it went right into Jalen Petrie's hands. Like, it was – it was like four and a half. It was like five. It was like five yards away from him in front of him. And it's like, what are you doing? How did you miss that? That was an elementary throw for a guy like that who didn't have much coverage around him. Yes. Yes. There was no coverage around. Him. We should also mention that the bears did win the game 23 to 20 on a last second field goal. But I mean, and to the point the, towards the second half of the season, towards the second half of the game, I'm sorry it really just became more and more evident of that same thing. When we talk about, I don't know if the play callers really think that they have something. I think the development of Justin Fields, I think, I think it's a little bit stalled for a bit. I don't really know because we, we don't want to make these overreactions, especially with three games in the year, you know, 49ers game. Yeah. Throw it out the window. I think there's a legitimate concerns about whether he is the guy going forward because horrifically like I was yelling at my TV telling him that this guy this guy stinks like he's like what like what are they doing on offense to where they just aren't like because the Texans this the Texans I'll give them credit I feel like the Texans on offense were a lot better than the Bears were on they were sharp Davis I'm I'm on the Davis Mills boat I think he's actually a good you're on the Mills Mafia 
I'm in the Mills Mafia. I think he's good. I, I think, think I am actually, too. I think he's a good quarterback. Yeah, I think he's a better quarterback. And we I we mentioned this in, in class last week. I and I asked you the question, are are we concerned that Davis Mills might outperform Justin Fields in this game? Well, he did just that by almost 200 more yards. Uh-huh. I mean, when you talk about 245 yards to 106, that's a huge disparity in terms of really putting your quarterback in position to succeed. And Grant Davis Mills, when he first started games was horrible. Yeah, I mean, he's done a complete 180 from what he was last year to when he started going down the stretch, we were like, Hey, maybe you have something here with Davis Mills. Mm-hmm. I mean, it gave, it gave the Texans the confidence to name him the starter again and get rid of Deshaun Watson, even though that's, that's a whole nother situation in itself, but yeah, but Davis Mills that. looked good. Like he looked pretty good. I mean, I, I think the Texans are one of these teams to where they could be uh, frisky. Yeah, yeah, they will be. I mean, you know, Lovey will coach him tight defensively. Yeah. Um, you know, that cover two stuff will probably get picked apart by better teams. Yeah. More often than Give not. it some more time. You know, give Lovey a couple more years. He probably – I think he was more hired with the Texans to kind of bring stability into an organization that kind of desperately needed it. Yeah, I would I would, I would, I would agree with that. Well, it looks, it looks like he's doing that. And now – to the other side of the ball, I think we have we would be remiss if we did not talk about uh, the games of two particular players on the defensive side of the ball. I think the defense played considerably well, but I mean, yeah, defense we, looks good. The defense does look good, and we have to start with Roquan Smith. Roquan Smith looks like he is back. He heard the critics that were coming after him after his performance on Sunday Night Football. The Bears run defense, which. I, I still think is not really that good, but Roquan Smith responded. He responded to all the criticism that he had been receiving, you know, the, Hey, you want to get paid like that? I know mm-hmm. I bashed him a little bit. Like, where were you on Sunday night football? Like where, where was he in this big game? You know, you want to get paid like a big time linebacker. Well, let's see the big time plays. Well, he made those big time plays <clears> today <throat> and he <throat> shut most of the critics up. Like this is what we expect from Roquan Smith. Not every single week. But most of the time, I want to see something just like that, where he's getting where he's getting tackles for losses. He's forcing fumbles. You talk about 16 total tackles, six, six solo tackles, and six tackles for loss, including the interception that basically won them yeah. the game. Like Roquan Smith won them this game today. Eddie Jackson himself also had another interception. I mean, it was an overall great day for the defense, but we have to start with Roquan Smith because this guy looks unbelievable out there today. Yeah, it looks like uh, it looks like Roquan's play is going to be his agent, and if he <laughs> keeps playing like this, then he's going to get the contract he wants. He's great. Uh, he was great, straight up great. Because yeah. the first two games of the season, he didn't look very good, and I think a no. lot of it was a lot of rust. I mean, he missed a lot of time in the preseason, so that make that makes sense. I you you know you come out of the gate, you're probably not going to be 100. percent You're probably not going to be totally sharp playing a new position, doing other doing things you're not necessarily used to, leaving a 34, going into a 43 you know, converting from a mic to a will, it is very different. Um, very different. Extremely different. And, it you know, has a, big, a lot more responsibility being the will linebacker because I'm assuming Matt Eberflus is going to want him to play just like Shaq Leonard. And that's really yeah. hard to do. Uh, so you got to figure it out. And the it, that kind of leads to some rough games at first, probably, in real game time situations. And that's what we saw at the San Francisco game. He wasn't the greatest. Um, the Green Bay game, he quite frankly had a, poor game is bad yeah it's um, non-existent but this game it was a perfect game for him to go out fly around make plays go up against a worse team and you know capitalize on some of their mistakes and get yourself in situations that are gonna feel better for you probably work some of the techniques that he's using at the one at that new will position and getting familiar where he's supposed to be on coverage and just playing to run well and just doing things that Roquan did and no, that that interception was extremely impressive too because it was off a tip ball and oh yeah it was kind of knuckling in the air and he still came up and just swooped it out like a hawk. Roquan had an awesome game and it's nice to see that. And if he keeps playing like this, well, he's going to get paid either here or elsewhere. But Eddie Jackson should be here. Should be here in Chicago. It, sh- it should be, but we'll see. Um, <laughs> uh, see how see how Poles wants to keep playing hardball. But also Eddie Jackson. Oh man, I love it. I, I am really, 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 really enjoying oh, yeah. the action start to the season so far. I am too. Because that was gone for too long. Too he, long. 
He's looked great. He's had some moments. Reunited and it feels <laughs> so good. 31 games before you 31 games. They, this the Eddie Jackson did not have an interception. Three games into the season, he already has two. Yes, it's beautiful to see. It's a beautiful sight. Beautiful. He's 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 flying around like he used to. He's making plays. I, I don't know what was going on behind the scenes, whether he was banged up at some point or something during those those last couple of seasons, whether he was like maybe the maybe the fame was just getting to his head a little bit selling yeah. his own cereal. Who knows? But I think but, I think we've seen that happen somewhere else in a different sport, but we're not gonna probably. talk about that. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> um it's just nice to see him flying around and playing like the the Eddie that we saw in 2018 when they won the division. And I thought he, I think this season so far he's looked better in the run game too. Cause last season he was basically a matador. He would, he wouldn't take on contact. Anyway. No. Um, but he's been a little bit, a little bit more stout against the run. He's been great in coverage and I love to see it. Like, I, last year, I was admittedly uh, off the Eddie train. I, I I was done with it. I think a lot of people were. I think a lot of people were done with him because uh, I'll tell you what. There was also one play that, in particular, he the play that he forced a fumble was a great adjustment on him because he gets beat by that running back by Damian Pierce early in the game, and he mm-hmm. was able to force a fumble, which the the Texans were able to recover. But you know, it's things, it's small things like that where Eddie Jackson just used to be afraid of just tackling people just in general. Now this guy is taking on the point of contact. Yeah. He's, he's making plays just flat out making plays. He might not be this most stout safety against the run, but I don't no. think nobody's going to ever really ask him to be, uh, but you ask him to do a lot in coverage and he's picking up his end of the, of the deal on that again. And it's nice to see him back to form. Uh, Kyler Gordon. Um, it was okay. It was definitely better than the last game where the Packers were definitely picking on him. Obviously it stinks because he has to be the number. He got thrusted into the number one guy role. Jalen Johnson was inactive for this game, which I didn't know that he was not going to play until early this morning. Yeah, yeah I didn't either. Yeah, I, I didn't either. I placed my Bears bet minus three and I felt like it was the easiest bet in the world. Now granted they won by three points, which I was able to push, but I mean, that didn't make it that much easier with no Jalen Johnson, but Kyler Gordon stepped up and played better than what he did last week against the Packers. Cause last week it was brutal. He was yes. brutal. He got picked on a lot. He had, that was kind of his welcome to the NFL moment, but he was pretty good. Pretty good this day. He was, um, he, he had a couple of plays. There's, there's that, uh, that big 50 yard catch, uh, early in the game that he got, he got torched on. Oh but- yeah. Um, you know, he's a rookie corner. He's going to make those mistakes, but to have a bounce back again, this Houston was a, like a reset game. It was a reset game because you're playing against a team that's as bad as you are. So you use that more as a measuring stick of where your talent is across the board in terms of youth, like they're playing well, so on and so forth. And they answered the call. They played well offensively. I mean, in the past game, they didn't, but other than that, I thought the bears played a pretty good game. Um, also want to give my flowers to Kendall Vilder. Uh, cause I thought he played really hard today. Um, I think he, he, had, a, he had a couple, he had a couple holding penalties called on him. He was a couple, kinda... listen, he, 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 he competed though, because like yeah. Vilder on, on most teams is going to be outmatched by your, the receiver. Like he's not a number two corner. No, he, he got, he got thrust in that position. I thought he played pretty well, had a couple pass breakups. I thought he was just aggressive. And I think like, despite the lack of talent that he brings. Uh, I thought he just played really hard today, and I was actually rather impressed by the by his game. So uh, I want to give my flowers to him. Overall, Bears played a pretty good game, man. Like, Justin Fields needs a lot of work, and I, I think it is a lot in part that the I think Luke Getze just needs to say, fuck it, and let him just let him spin it a couple times, <laughs> let him make mistakes, and know that hopefully they put Getze in a position where it's not an indictment on his job that, you know, Fields is going to be, you know, throwing picks and stuff like that. But we need, we need, we need Fields to just kind of let him, let him operate within his own space a little bit. But he does need to make better decisions, and he needs to stop yes. holding onto the ball, and he needs to just get the ball out of his hands because when people say that Fields is like some super dynamic runner and that light on his feet, I don't buy into that because no, I don't think so. I think he moves to get to a platform for him to throw. He's not some burner that when the pocket breaks out he's going to be ripping a 60 yard run on any whim if he gets enough daylight but he's a guy that can he has above uh, uh, he's 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 very athletic and get to platforms that he needs to be but 
to make a throw, I don't think he's like some like read option guy or anything like that. I just he needs to tighten his game up. Long yeah. story short. Yeah, he needs to tighten his game up in a whole lot of areas, particularly in the passing game, because I mean, I think a lot more questions are going to be persisting. I mean, going forward with this Bears team, we'll, we'll get to a, a preview of their next week, probably later in the later in the week sure. when we do our yeah. when we do our preview of Notre Dame and the Bears for their upcoming weekend. Actually, Notre Dame's on a bye, so thank you. That, that's their that's their one week recap. Yeah, <laughs> thank yeah. thank God, thank God. We'll get we'll get into them in a second, but. My final thoughts are um, I don't really know how to feel about these first two wins. These are two really ugly wins, and Justin Fields has not looked good in those two games. He hasn't looked good through three games in, and there, there should be legitimate concerns. I mean, this is kind of going back to what we said at the beginning. I mean, Justin Fields had a quote where it said, I played like trash. Well, I'm glad he's at least acknowledging and he's like, really have to be better. I'm glad he doesn't hold back and actually acknowledges that. He's his, self-aware. Yeah, at least he's self-aware that he played like complete and utter garbage. It was not good. But, I mean, when we've seen – in Chicago, we've seen a ton of bad quarterback play, especially in the last 30-so years. And I think we're so desperate for the savior to come down and really kind of save the Chicago football Obviously, people thought it was going to be Mitch Trubisky. I wasn't one of these people. And now people are kind of um, – I'm kind of worried that people already made Justin Fields his savior before he even, like, played a snap. Like, people were like, yeah, Fields field to be a sure thing. Fields to be a sure thing. Um, I'm, not, I'm not so sure that he is. I mean, we it's still very early in the year. He has 14 more games to figure it out, which for him, it's good because I feel like as long as he doesn't get hurt, He's going to start all these games and we're going to know a lot more about what he is as a quarterback later in the year. But you know, it's like a broken record. I mean, how much longer are we going to keep saying this about Justin Fields before the thought of the potential of what he could be ends up not necessarily living up. I don't know how much longer we kind of give that. I mean, it's never too early to start that little conversation of whether he is the guy or not, but I'm having those questions. Is he the guy? Is he not the guy? Is it too early for me to be concerned about it? I'm I'm not too sure how, how I'm supposed to feel about it, but I was not impressed with what he threw out there today. I was not impressed by what this Bears offense has been doing outside of what they can do on the running game. They need more at the passing game. This is a passing league in the NFL. This is not 1980 where we're going to run the ball 30 times a game and maybe consider consider passing the ball. This also isn't the 49ers. We don't have Kyle Shanahan and we don't have as good of an offensive line as the 49ers do to only be passing the ball a certain amount of times. I think it goes, there comes to a certain point in time where we have to realize that maybe the bears don't believe in Justin Fields. Maybe they, this whole thing of what they plan to do in the off season kind of comes into a reality of, even though some of the things aren't true and they were in salary cap hell and kind of had to, move on from a bunch of bad, bad contracts that kind of put them in a spot to where they couldn't really make a huge upgrade at one of those core position core positions. But when you see Equinon with St. Brown, who I think has been pretty good through three games, I think he's been getting open at times. I think fields has just been missing him, but mm-hmm. I don't know how, how much longer do we give Justin fields before we kind of start the conversation of, is he the guy? Cause I, I still think it's too early. But I also don't it's also a point of conversation. It makes it makes for good it makes for good talking points. It, this is a season long evaluation. This is Justin yes. Fields full seat like full first season under center from camp on. So it's not too early to be having concerns and doubts and to start questioning things. We're three weeks into the season. Like it's only a 17 game season, every game counts. And each week, each game matters towards his development. And if results aren't coming each and every week, and if they're not getting better each and every week, well, then the, the that kind of answers your question for you. Um, it has to be a week-to-week evaluation, you know, because uh, you know, there's a lot of variables in play. Uh, again, I, I hate mentioning it, bad weather first game, but still mm-hmm. missed some bad throws that game. The second game against Green Bay, same thing. Missing easy throws, holding on to the ball too long, 
It seems like he's lost out there at times. Okay. You move on yeah. from that. Third game. Okay. He's putting the ball in the air a little bit more. Only problem is it's in the wrong direction there. It's not where it should be going. When it's and it's bad overthrows too. It's not bad, just yes. like it's bad overthrows and into like double and triple coverage. It's not like one of these like where it's like a tip ball and there's a, a defensive back there. It's these bad misreads Wolfly. where he's throwing it into into the defense, into the teeth of the defense, where you'll see three white jerseys and one. Well, even though the Bears wore white jerseys today, one white jersey and three navy jerseys are all around this one wide receiver. And I mean, it's just, I mean, you're 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 sending ducks to the slaughter. I mean, they're, like they're sitting ducks out there. Seriously. That's the like, <laughs> like it, the, the, the criticism to, to just uh, to crown him a bad quarterback right now, I think is a little premature, but there's validity there to have your questions and have your doubts. And you've got to hope that, I mean, at least by mid season, that stuff gets ironed out and that's on fields to do so. Um, but what would assist him is if they don't just, throw the ball 11 times a game and actually give them more and more and more reps game reps to get them to, 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 to feel it out, to find the rhythm, yes. to understand where you should be going with the ball because you have to do it in a game. You can't just do it in practice all the time. Yeah. And that was my problem with like the, the way that they're sec the way that they ended the first half, like they only threw, they threw the ball six more times this game than what they did on Sunday night football. They only threw the ball six more times, 17 for eight for 106 yards, two interceptions. But, you know, it's like I said, you want to give him those reps. You want to see what he has. But then when you see him completely misreading a defense, throwing into double and triple coverage, like, I mean, it is what it is. Like, right now, he's he's not a good quarterback. Like, it's, I know he's young. I know he's young. And there's still – this is a developmental season for him. But three games in the season, just by my two eyes, he's not a good quarterback. Yeah, it's it, – it, I don't think it's – I don't think it's bad to say that – I don't think it's bad to say that you're not feeling it right now. No, because I'm not. It's because we're not feeling soxy about about Justin Fields. No, I'm feeling bloated and ugly about Justin <laughs> Fields. <laughs> yeah, we're I feel like I can't go out wearing this. Yeah, like, yeah. Well, it's a good thing I didn't buy a Justin Fields jersey too soon because mm -hmm. you know sometimes sometimes you kind of buy the jersey too soon and then the guy ends up kind of stinking. Yeah. I've had I've had some bad luck with jerseys. I've had the bad have, luck with the a, jerseys. I have a plethora of, of Chicago Blackhawks jerseys uh, from guys who got traded, like literally the year after. Like my 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 bright red Artemi Panarin jersey still hangs high in my closet. Oh my god, that completely different. <laughs> to, not to go off the rails here, but the one of the worst trades the Blackhawks ever made in their championship run, and I think that's why it closed shut. Oh, pick one. Sam Bowman's a knucklehead. That guy, that guy, that oh guy my was God. dealing and dealing bad deals left and right. That guy stunk. God, he glad made. he's gone. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of Blackhawks fans are glad that he's gone. He pissed away a dynasty that could have gone, like, to the length of the Detroit Red Wings, where it was, like, 20 years of playoff appearance. They, they could still, they, they could still be good. I mean, they, they could, could still be, be good. They could they still could. be, they could still be, like, in a spot where like the Boston Bruins are, where or like the Pittsburgh Penguins, where like these There's teams relevant. are, where they're just still contending, or even like the Tampa Bay Lightning. Like, how does a small market team? I know, I know, we don't do a whole lot of hockey talk here, but how does the Tampa like? It's the same thing with like baseball. Like, how does a small market team, like Tampa Bay, how do they have better teams than us in Chicago? Because they have competent, competent leadership up in the front office, yeah, and the fact exactly, that, and the fact that hockey has like a real serious hard cap, so. It's pretty easy to round out a roster if you're not a total moron. Yeah, that's it's completely <laughs> tough. That's completely tough. Well, before we transition to Notre Dame, what are your final thoughts about this Bears game? Uh, final thoughts, real quick. Um, so one for one, happy they got the win. Uh, you like to see that what was supposed to be a, the 32nd ranked team in the NFL is two and one on the season to start the year, which is great. Uh, happy they got the win. Two and one was projected to be the worst team in the league. Uh, getting out of the gates and having a winning record—that's nice to see. Don't expect it to last a long time. Uh, no. I'm I'm liking I'm liking some of the developments and some of the way that some of these young guys are playing. The offensive line looks a lot better than I anticipated. The weapons aren't horrible. The defense looks pretty good in spots. Um, but you know, I'm I'm worried about Justin right now. I'm not off the ship, but um, 
like I said, uh, the the boat's wobbling a little bit. Yeah, it's not it's not looking too good. It's not looking too good. Hopefully, he still has plenty of time to turn it around. But I mean, there's a lot of concerns there. There's a lot of concerns with the Bears. I mean, obviously, we weren't really expecting a whole lot of wins this year. But I mean, the fact that they start off the season two and one. I mean, who would have thought that? I mean, you'll take the wins. But I mean, it's these wins aren't good. These aren't good wins. Like it looks really ugly. And that's all I'm going to say on that. And we are going to transition into Notre Dame football. Strike up the band. Strike up the band. All right, Jared. So our fighting Irish, they persevered the gods. A lot of people thought that they weren't going to win. They were one and a half point underdogs. That got as low as the three point underdogs against North Carolina. But the offense really showed out in this one. Mm-hmm. 40, 45 to 32. The running game was working. Audric Estiman, who I've kind of been on a little bit as to why, why is this guy having a whole, a huge role in the offense, but he really showed out. I mean, he had a huge, a big chunk of runs. Chris Tyree had a good day, but I think more than anything else, I think Notre Dame is starting to really identify with who their offensive playmakers are mm-hmm. in terms of yes. their wide receivers with, with the way Logan digs, Lorenzo Styles had a nice touchdown. Which, by the way, the cameraman that that did um, that had the touchdown needs to work better on staying close to the ball because that was horrible camera work done by that guy. That's why he's working midday ACC games. Yep, that's why. <laughs> well, I mean, midday midday on ABC is not too bad for him. But Audrick Estiman, 134 yards rushing, two touchdowns. I know he had that rough, that really rough one which would have got him another touchdown that he fumbled over the goal mm-hmm. line. But mm-hmm. I mean, Notre Dame's offense, we, we have to be fully impressed with Notre Dame's offense, seeing as how the first three weeks of the season, we were looking for answers oh. with this offense. Like we were just looking for any sort of life. I mean, their offensive inconsistencies cost them two games. Like when you think about it, it yeah. cost them two games and it's put them in this spot to where now they're two and two and basically trying to fight for, at least like a rectifiable season, like nine and three, but I mean, if they I mean, went out, they could get, uh, if they went out, I could realistically see them in a new year's day bowl. Yeah. If they, if they win 10, yeah. If they win 10 in a row, especially if they beat Clemson, BYU and, and USC. USC. Yeah. I mean, those are three wins that could definitely, that would definitely put them right back up there in the new year's six talk, which is right now. I mean, they pretty much have eliminated themselves right now. Well, not really eliminate, but, they're not really going to be in that conversation right now. Not yet. No, no, not yet. But I mean, a lot of things were really impressed. I mean, Drew Pine, I was very concerned about how he was going to go going forward as the Notre Dame starter. Really, he really impressed. I I think he really made steps in the right direction of, you know, 289 yards. Michael Mayer, by the way, like North Carolina could not find a single answer for Michael Mayer in this mm-hmm. entire game. He was just a man amongst boys. Eight catches or seven catches for 88 yards and a touchdown. Like Michael Mayer could basically do whatever he wanted against North Carolina. North Carolina had no answer for him whatsoever. I mean, we're go from the offense to the defense, not really, but mainly on the offensive side of the ball. The, their best performance of the year. I think Ju- I think Drew Pines now kind of started to settle in a little bit to where now he's uh, how would it, more relaxed he is now they're really kind of putting him in big spots to succeed the offensive line looks really good which mm-hmm. in the first couple games was really kind of a big concern seeing as how we didn't know how good this offensive line was going to be or at least we thought it was going to be the most experienced in terms of what we were expecting out of Notre Dame's offense mm-hmm. yeah no uh wholeheartedly impressed by the offense um it was you know a rightful uh, a rightful um, betting line that Vegas put on them being two and a half point underdogs, given the fact that this offense has been quite frankly putrid. Um, they, they were finding an identity, uh, couldn't find a playmaker on the field to help them out. Uh, no. not, but it took four weeks to get there, but you know, at least it got there. And it, I, it was nice to see Drew Pine uh, respond, especially after having a pretty lackluster game last week against Cal and getting Nash, uh, chewed out on national television by his offensive coordinator, that's a weird spot. Went viral. It went very viral. Well, and it must have worked because right after that, they had a touchdown drive. I'm pretty sure, like, right after Tommy right. Reese chewed out 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's afraid of Tommy beating him up in the locker room or something because <laughs> he was getting after his ass that game. But he responded and he played really well. 289 yards, 24 for 34, three touchdowns, no interceptions, managed the ball very well. But, you know, they didn't ask him to do too much and they relied on the running game. And Audrey Estime, yes, man, that you have criticized quite a bit and rightfully so because yes. – it just it would because it, it, it usually just resulted in a pretty lackadaisical and unproductive running game, not getting a little bit creative and getting the ball in guys like Tyrese and Diggs' hands. Um, oh. But he, North Carolina has a really crappy defense. There's yeah. no way to put it, um, and it allowed guys like that to find a rhythm and make some plays and you know get a little bit out of like a very rigid. Um, like play calling methodology that like Tommy <laughs> Reese has been in. Like you got a little creative, got the ball in the playmaker's hands. Yeah. And I can't be more impressed. And I, I was worried about this game because I was expecting Drew Pine being in a shootout with Drake may and nine times out of 10 Drew Pine loses that duel. Oh yeah. That was something I was very concerned about too. I was concerned with going into this game. I was concerned with how is Notre Dame's offense going to be able to keep up with North Carolina because we knew, that North Carolina is going to score points. They're one of the most explosive offensive units in college football today. In fact, yeah. I think every North Carolina game is an automatic over, no matter who they play. I mean, it was like this one hit, like I'm pretty sure in the middle of the third quarter, it was so easy. Like North Carolina's defense is putrid. I think they are one of the worst defensive units in the entire nation. And for a Notre Dame offense that doesn't have a whole lot of experience, they were really able to exploit that defense with a lot of poor tackling. They were able to find space in the open field. Audric Estiman just running all over the place. Chris Tyree also had 80 yards on the ground and 15 carries. Logan Diggs also had over 140 total yards on the receiving and running back side of things. So now that this was really the Notre Dame offense I wanted to see and thought I was going to see under Tyler Buckner eventually, which was, which is, um, you know, the triple option offense, the run game works, and then you just open it up with the passing lanes down the field. Now, granted, I think Bachner's development kind of got screwed up a little bit with obviously things that were completely out of his control. But, I mean, with the way Drew Pine has been playing, I mean, he's been playing very solid, especially for this game when you factor in that, you know, last week wasn't really too great in terms of the first half of offensive football, but now I think he's really starting to get comfortable and everybody else is starting to get comfortable with Drew Pine's role in this offense because he's really the difference between what makes this season go from a 10-9 win season to a year where now we're going to be asking who's, who's Notre Dame's backup? Who's the backup to Drew Pine? But he's, re he's really keeping it off. I mean, he played con considerably mm -hmm. well. And Audrey Gustman, who, yeah, I have been getting a fair a fair share of criticism on so i i've been liking what i've seen from him so far i mean especially uh he looks a lot more comfortable in the offense i mean especially with the run game if they're able to look as as good as they are and able to open up the lanes because it you see if you if you watch some of the replays of audric estimates run like you could see like wide open gaps to where like me and you could run a solid 10 yards right through that hole. The offensive line was really making things that much easier for the yeah. running game. And I think that was something that we were kind of looking about. I, I feel like obviously with college football, there's no preseason. Pre you kind of just jump right into it, whether you're rusty or not. And I think Notre Dame's really kind of maybe starting to find its groove a little bit on offense, but I want to wait at least one more week before we kind of make any adjustments on whether Notre Dame's offense is officially back. Yeah. Uh, so the bye week's coming up. Um, mm -hmm. Then got a tough game against BYU the following week. And that's going to be a test of in Vegas too. in Vegas. Um, Mormon Mormons versus Catholics. <laughs> Holy war. The Holy uh, war. <laughs> uh, this will be a, this will be a good test to see like how they approach the bye week and mm -hmm. whether this is momentum that can be carried on and maybe Tommy Reese can still get a little bit more creative. Um, I think the loss of Buckner, um, albeit huge, and they would probably be in a better position with him playing. I think they were still trying to figure out like what they wanted to do with Buckner in the offense. Yeah. Because if you watch Buckner play, like he's praised for his athleticism and his ability to be, to be mobile, but I don't think he's that crazy, that, that crazy fast. Like no. he's a, he's a good option uh, option so to speak like but 
I would I, I want I would like to see I would like to see Buckner actually, you know, operate more from the passing game and not so much being run on these options that quite frankly, I don't think work very well when you just do a standard read option with him because he's just not that fast. Like I said, he's mobile, no discredit to his athleticism, but he's a better thrower. And I think they should really groom him to be a better thrower. Um, I think it would help the team much better and it would help Tommy Reeves get a little bit more creative with the play calling. His absence has helped with that. I think not having to rely on a, on operating an offense that, I mean, clearly working it with Buckner at the time was not working well and actually getting the ball in the playmaker's hands and not letting the quarterback, you know, run the ball a bazillion times a game. They, oh, yeah. they, they, they're doing the right thing right now. And I think the, the subtraction of Buckner right now, despite the end, like, you know, I wish it wasn't an injury concern, but I think it's actually been an addition for the coaching staff and the way they call games now. So I think it's actually been a bit of a benefit. Buckner, I just feel like still needs a little bit of time to, to kind of, to, to get used to it still. It just doesn't oh, no. like too great out there. Well, who knows if Drew Pine's playing this well, he might, he might make Tyler Buckner expendable. He might, he might, he very well could. I, I, you don't know. It's a weird QB competition between these two guys because they're both know, not that outstanding. They're they're not like the crazy ath. They're not like that crazy athletic, but at least they can like run a little bit to where the like you see some quarterbacks like they're just like statues back or like they have like no mobility whatsoever. Like three strep drop, here comes the guy. No luck, he's going down. Like at least they have like some mobility to where they can at least have some escapability from the pocket. Mm-hmm. And at least you have at least you have that. I mean, obviously, and that goes with the offensive line. Marcus Freeman obviously. Say so this is what you, this is what he's been expecting out of his Notre Dame teams this year, which is, I guess, a representation of like what they were last year, which is what was working best when they had Kyron Williams, Jack Cohen, and Kevin Austin in the in the offensive mix, where they were able. But obviously, a different scenario where you have more of an experienced quarterback. But this is exactly what Notre Dame is expecting of every time on the offensive side of the ball. They're going to be a team that's highly dominated on the running game and will build on that running game to open up plays for the talented, really fast wide receivers. Like, like, uh, I'm already spaced out on his name, Lorenzo styles. Yes. Lorenzo styles and Logan Diggs, who I think should get regular offensive touches along with Chris Tyree, who had a very nice game in terms of the running and receiving wise. So overall, Notre Dame has been listening to me in terms of the offense. Maybe Tommy Reese is a frequent feeling soxy podcast listener. Like he, Oh yeah. Oh yeah, Tommy. Oh yeah, help. This. good job. Today. Oh yeah, he needs our life yesterday. <laughs> exactly. He 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 was making the phone call. The phone call was he was talking to the quarterback because he knew that I was coming after him. The offense didn't improve. <laughs> he knew that we were coming. You was that you on the phone? No, no, he was chewing me out. Yeah. I was I chewed him out before he chewed out Drew Pine. <laughs> Be like, what the hell is this garbage? Oh, it was, it was just a trickle down effect. Yes, it <laughs> so was. He, they he's they caught his bad mood on him. Yes, they caught him yelling at they caught him yelling at Drew Pine. They didn't catch him getting yelled at by me. <laughs> um, speaking of the offense, real quick, mm-hmm. what are they going to do with Braden Lindsay? Like, what's he do? I, I, I think Braden Lindsay. That that was my same question because I looked at him as one of those guys where he's like one of these gadget guys to where he's uh, the super fast guy who's just going to be a burner down the field. And quite frankly. Notre Dame hasn't quite gotten that out of him so far. Like I he hasn't done anything. <laughs> I don't quite. I don't quite know. Has he even like caught? Has he even caught a pass this year? Uh, I feel like he's done a couple things, but he has oh, yeah. seven, he, ca- he has he, seven he catches one, for sixty-nine yards on the season. He had one catch for seven yards on Saturday. Or wait, nope, that was running. He had two catches for twelve yards. So, <laughs> so, he, so he didn't have himself quite a day. But yeah, I mean, yeah. it's not it's not particularly good, especially when you. Like when you look at his career, like it's he had he had 11 carries for 254 yards in 2019, and then 350 yards last year. And now this year, he, I think he's really kind of starting to fall out of favor when you have Logan Diggs and Lorenzo Styles making plays in the receiving and the running game. Basically, what they were expecting Brandon Lindsay to do, they're getting that out of Logan Diggs, Chris Tyree, and Lorenzo Styles. I think we've really identified who Notre Dame's main offensive playmakers are. And I think Brandon Lindsay is kind of starting to kind of fall out of the pack a bit because these guys have kind of passed him by a little bit. I mean, he literally doesn't do anything. No, he doesn't. Field. 
he doesn't like they're they're like he'll get a couple of looks, but there's nothing that comes with him. You know, every, he's had every, a, he's had a he's had seven total catches on the season for 69 yards. Nice, but he's nice. Doesn't he doesn't do anything? Like he doesn't like figure it out. Like right? they have they have they have they have three different wide receivers that do the exact things that Brandon Lindsley does. And quite frankly, you know, I think he's kind of starting to fall out of the pack. Like I've mentioned. Yeah, and rightfully so. Uh, yeah, what? it's just bad. He doesn't do anything. He's kind of a non-factor on the offense. Um, that's probably that's probably the reason why they tried to rely so heavily on the run game. It's because outside of Lorenzo Styles and Mayer, there's nothing else available that will give you any kind of dynamic play or playmaking ability. Also, well, Chris, well, Chris Tyree when they give him the ball. Yeah. Yes. Uh, that's what I'm saying. Like uh, up until recently, like t- Tommy Reese has been relying on the running game and just getting the ball in those guys' hands. Now, like Tyree had a great game. I, I thought he had a really good game. Oh um, yeah. Let's see. Let me pull this He had 15 carries for 80 yards and a touchdown, and he broke like a 20 yard run. So good. And Logan Diggs, I like what they were doing with him, kind of moving him all around the field, taking some carries in the backfield, catching some passes. I like what they were doing with him. I really um, love what they were doing with him. Mm-hmm. And and of course, uh, yeah, Michael Mayer. Michael Mayer looks so much bigger than everybody else. I mentioned like, that. Yes. He's huge. He looks like he looks like Mr. Incredible out there, like before he got fat. Like, <laughs> before <laughs> retirement, Mr. Yeah. Incredible. Back when he was the original Mr. Incredible. That's what Michael Mayer is. He he like he operate like, now. This is a very lofty comparison, and I'm not doing it to compare him like talent wise, but just the manner in which he plays, like he literally plays like a college version of Gronk. Yeah. He's so big and those powerful. Are, those are the comparisons to him. I mean, that's why he was a, a Mackey award, a Mackey award finalist. Uh, I believe it was last year. He was on the short list of Mackey award winners to look forward to in the season. I mean, this is exactly what Michael Mayer does. And for the first couple weeks, we hadn't really seen it. Notre Dame was, because I feel like the lack of offensive playmakers, this is where now you're starting to identify with who you know your offensive playmakers are. Now this opens up opportunities for Michael Mayer to do what he does best, which is able to just dominate a defense. And he was babying the North Carolina defense. North Carolina had no answers for Michael Mayer whatsoever. He Like, they could do nothing. Pure weight room game. No, he, 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 was, he was tossing babying. guys left and right. Uh, they were just bouncing off of him. But I have a question for you. A little hypothetical, yes. right? Yes, sir. A little this or that for you. Mm-hmm. You need a tight end spot filled. You have mm-hmm. two options. Are you taking Michael Mayer or are you taking Brock Bowers? Ooh. Ooh. See, because Brock, ooh. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I see. I think that's a tough one. That's that's a tough one. I mean, you're talking about the probably two guys who I think f- are going to be for sure things in the NFL. I mean, I don't, I don't want to say that they're going to be for sure things, but I mean, Brock Bowers plays in a higher level of competition with one of the best teams in the entire country in Georgia. Like Georgia is an absolute juggernaut. Michael Mayer has been dominating at Notre Dame since he was a freshman. He's been playing this entire time as a freshman. He's been babying DBs and linebackers since he was a freshman. I mean, this is, this is a hard question. I mean, I, I want to say Michael Mayer just because he's our guy, the Notre Dame guy, but I mean, you, you'd be crazy not to pick Brock Bowers. You'd be crazy not to pick Brock Bowers. Let's just do a little comp- uh, 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 career comparison here for, you okay. know, um, we'll go step for step, you know, fr- freshman year to freshman year, sophomore year, to sophomore year. All right. Are they are they the same? Are they they're the, they're the same class, right? They're they're both juniors. Michael Mayer is a year older. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Player A, forty-two catches, four hundred and fifty yards, ten point seven average per catch, two touchdowns. Right, freshman year. Uh huh. Player B, fifty-six catches, eight hundred and eighty-two yards, fifteen point eight per catch, thirteen touchdowns. As long as it was an 89-yarder. That sounds like Brock Bowers. That is Brock Bowers. <laughs> I was going to say, that sounds like Brock Bowers. Because like, I, I, I remember Michael Mayer, he, he had moments, but I, I don't remember him having an 89-yard touchdown run in his rookie, in his freshman year. Like, that's, yeah. 
That's that's crazy stuff. That's insane. So let's see here. So so far, uh, Michael Mayer's most productive season, which was last year, his sophomore year, seventy-one catches, eight hundred forty yards, eleven point eight, seven touchdowns, and a fifty-two yard touchdown is the longest. That is still below Brock Bowers' freshman year. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> you now, Brock Bowers to... right now is he's got fifteen catches for two hundred seventy-six yards. He averages eighteen yards a catch. Um, which is insane. Uh, two touchdowns, and he's had a 78 yarder already, and it's not done. Oh my gosh, this dude's like, nuts. I mean, Brock, ba- <laughs> Brock Bowers is like, like he, he's like a wide receiver, he's like a wide receiver playing tight end. Like, he's just like so unguardable at times. Like, he's like what we think Michael Mayer, like, Michael Mayer is a good tight end, but. I mean, to compare him to Brock Bowers, I mean, it's it's no comparison. Brock Bowers is probably the best tight end in the entire nation, playing for one of the best teams in the entire nation of college football. Like, yeah, it's yeah, just I, I it's don't want to. I don't, I, I don't want to. Like, I don't want to prematurely crown crown him right now as being better than Mayer because I haven't I, I haven't paid much attention to them blocking. I think Mayer is a really good blocker. I yeah. haven't watched Brock Bowers really block at all, so I'd like to compare and contrast there. Um, so that's where I think, in my opinion, I think that's where Mayer's got the edge just a little bit because he's as competent a receiver as he is a blocker because he's a damn good blocker. Um, we'll, we'll see. I don't know. Uh, these these guys are both good. I probably I would probably wind up taking Bowers, though, just because at any moment the guy could house one like 60 yards. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, that, that takes a special type of talent to be able to do that. Like, we don't see a whole lot of tight ends be able to – score like 89 yard touchdown runs because they're they're just not that fast like so fast (laughs) he like that's the one thing that really impresses me the most about him is that he is probably one of the fastest tight ends i've ever seen faster than gronk faster than tony gonzalez because i feel like those guys are good but they weren't like barn burners they weren't like guys who could burn linebackers and safeties down the field brock bowers can do that yes he can oh he is he is pretty nuts. Hey, we'll see how we'll see how it pans out because he's still got to play one more season. But yeah, this guy, this guy's gonna be a problem. He's gonna oh, be a problem. Oh yeah, and and going back to the Notre Dame game, um, are we a little bit concerned that the defense a little bit underwhelmed, or are you not? Re- I'm not really too concerned about the two garbage time touchdowns, but I was a, I was kind of impressed by what I saw on the defensive side of the ball, particularly against a North Carolina offense that has basically just been scoring points, 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 points. And against the guy, Drake May, who has been a very good quarterback. I mean, he had over 300 yards and had five touchdowns in this game. Mm-hmm. But Notre Dame did a very nice job of really kind of holding down the big plays from North Carolina and really kind of separate themselves before North Carolina ha- hit a couple big plays in the second half that drew- that led to a couple touchdowns being scored. Are we a little bit concerned about the about the defense or – are we kind of impressed by the fact that they only gave up the the 18 points in garbage time? I think I think this is kind of a stupid question now that I hear myself ask it because <laughs> now I feel so I think you I, answered your own question. <laughs> I think I did because now I because now it just sounds now I just sound stupid by what I'm saying. So no, I take that back. Are you impressed by Notre Dame's defense, even though they gave up yeah. the garbage time touchdowns? Yeah, I, I'm actually very impressed by by their defense. So Drake May still had his way through the passing yeah. game, but they couldn't do anything running wise. Um, I mean, Notre Dame or not Notre Dame, but North Carolina has been putting up points all season long. Uh, 56 the first game against uh, FAMU, uh, Appalachian State. They put 63 on Georgia State. They put 35 on what? Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern. No, it was Georgia State. Oh, Georgia State. It was it was one of those. Yeah, it was Georgia State. Yeah, Georgia State, they put 35 on, and they've just been zipping the ball around left and right. Um, I thought Notre Dame actually hung in there pretty pretty well with uh, with the way that Drake May has been playing. Um, the, the the defensive line was pretty active again. Uh, I like that. Kind of made it uncomfortable. You saw Drake May making a lot of off-platform throws just due to the just due to the pressure that was being put on him. Um, I thought they did. I thought they did actually a pretty good job. Uh, for a team that's as explosive as North Carolina was, I thought they 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 tightened it down pretty well. Um, I still think the secondary is a bit of a weakness for Notre Dame right now, um, but the front seven I thought they played well. So yeah, no, I'm actually I'm actually pretty happy with it. I mean, you only let up single digit scores all the way up until the fourth quarter, but again, like you said, garbage time. So it was kind of yeah. inconsequential. 
Yeah, by the time North Carolina got those 18 points, I mean, the game was already, and it probably would have been a lot more. It would have been 50. They probably would have won this game by 20 if Audrey Esselman would have not had that fumble late right. late in the game. But, you know, on the defensive side of the ball, they had three sacks. They had three sacks. Isaiah Foskey had half a sack. Riley Mills also had two sacks in this game on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. He was. He had two and a half tackles for losses too. Yeah, two and a half tackles for loss. He had two sacks. Like he, he was really starting to make a name for himself. I think this Notre Dame defense is starting to round up into form. I think. Yep. I, I don't want to say. I think they're starting to buy in to what Marcus Freeman is selling, and maybe it was a bit of an over exact. Maybe we over exaggerated a little bit about maybe Marcus Freeman's on the hot seat because when you start winning games, it ultimately will make your seat a whole lot cooler. But. Yeah. I think Marcus Freeman's I, I, I know it's only four games. We'll see how they look when they come back against BYU. And I mean, obviously they have a bye week so we can take, mm-hmm. we can take a, a, uh, inebriated break, a break yes. from the, from the I mean, it's from the stress of the first to four games of the Notre Dame season. You know, I could ease myself of the stress from, I mean, I've already eased myself with the stress of the White Sox season, but we'll only have to stress out about the Bears next week and how they look against the Giants. Which that I think that's a that's going to be a big test for them. Oh yeah, that that's going to be a huge game. I'm I'm already a little bit concerned about it. I I don't know what the line is. I think the Giants are already opening up as the two and a half point favorite, and it's going to New York, and they're wearing the old school jersey like. What I, what I, I, I don't know. Say, I, I hope Saquon Barkley just does not keep it up against the Bears because he's been absolutely he's been nuts this year. I think your only hope for Saquon Barkley not to go crazy against the Bears is if he just doesn't play. Let's. All right, let me make a call. So, all right, let me make a call. Can we, go, <laughs> can we go take out Barkley. <laughs> hey, I know a guy. Hey, I know a guy. No, 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 all, all fun and games. All kidding. All kidding. Yeah, if the Bears if the Bears get beat, it's all it's all all's fair in football and war, right? Yeah, yeah, I think I think it would be a very, and plus, who knows? The Giants could be four and zero. It could be three and zero going into that game, so it could be could be a pretty big game for them. They're a really well coached team. Could be. A I, pretty... I like brain day balls. Yeah, he's definitely been showing them day balls more. Yeah, the he's brass been day more... balls. Yeah, I I really wanted Brian Dable to be the coach of the Bears. I really wanted them to hire Dable, but just never mm. happened. I kind of did too. Um, yeah, what can you do? I mean, a typical Bears L. <laughs> so yeah, you know, it. we almost we almost had Bruce Arians. I mean, thank oh. God they didn't hire Nathaniel Hackett. That that would have been a whole different. Like, oh Lord, I oh wish my they God, did. that would just just for the entertainment value. That I mean, Nathaniel <laughs> Hack. No, Nathaniel Hackett would have just literally. We would have we would have sent him back up to Green Bay because it would have just been sabotaged by that organization to send their worst offensive coordinator down here to basically sabotage Justin Fields and set us back another five years. I wouldn't be surprised if Green Bay just sent down little spies like that to different organizations, just like what Belichick <laughs> would do. He would send he would send his guys to different AFC teams to where he where, where he knew those teams wouldn't be good and that they would take out the competition. It's one of those things. I feel like Belichick did that for a number of years. Joe, I based on I based on Belichick's not Tony Soprano here. I know. I'm basing that on that. No, 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 not Tony Soprano in a way. But his assistant coaches are like, "What? Well, we're going to sabotage this organization." He's got he's got well, he's got an organized crime syndicate going on. In terms of the NFL coaches, yeah, I mean, he, what what else, what else can you explain about none of the Belichick coaches being good? It'd be crazy to see a guy look like and Paulie the one, Walnuts. And the, one, and, the one who, and the one who was like semi decent, Brian Flores, he got fired. After, yeah, well, after, that, after a seven game yeah. winning streak. I mean, uh, that's 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 a whole another situation. I know that that's a whole that's a whole other thing in itself. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's definitely there. There are some different motives behind that one. Not, oh not yeah, there's complete. Oh yeah, there was. There's some motives involving a, uh, a Hall of Fame quarterback and a future Hall of Fame coach, but we're not going to mention that here or there. And a shady but, owner. But fi- final thoughts on the uh, Notre Dame game. Uh, very impressive, uh, and it was refreshing to see the offense operating as crisply as it did. Um, 
that was a total win for Notre Dame and all facets of the game, all three, all three factors, offense, defense, special teams. Um, I, I am not upset one bit at the way Notre Dame played. I thought they were, they were awesome. Um, we saw that Notre Dame does have playmakers and we saw the defense go up against a vaunted offense and hold strong and play extremely, extremely well. So a uh, very good win for Notre Dame, especially after off of a, a nail biter against Cal uh, is a good way to bounce back and go into the bye week. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, hundred percent. You could have nailed it on the head anymore. Very impressed by Notre Dame's offense. It, they looked like, the Notre Dame offense that we have seen in years past. I mean, I think Drew Pine looks a lot more comfortable. The offensive line looks crisp. They're able to break open holes for the running game. I mean, the running game looked absolutely glorious. I mean, we at least had one Saturday where we didn't have to at least stress watch Notre Dame yeah. for, for the time being. Cause I mean, these, these first three games have just been absolutely, I mean, they, they've been working on the soul. I mean, they're not good for the soul, but I mean, I sat through this White Sox season, so I think I could sit through just about anything if I could sit through this horrific White Sox season. I could sit through just about any any of these teams having a, a down year. I would agree because that sadness you can't dig yourself out of. No, no. I mean, we're I'm I'm knee I'm knees deep in White Sox horse poop. I'll tell you that. <laughs> knee, knee deep in it. Knee deep in it. Poor I was guy. I was impressed. <laughs> I mean, it was good to see for Notre Dame. It was good to see them to be able to respond, be able to respond to being in an offensive shootout against a team that has been in offensive shootouts pretty much the entire year in North Carolina. They and the defense was able to really kind of bounce back and slow down the offense enough to where Notre Dame could pull ahead and really kind of make plays and really kind of turn this game into a laugher very early in the third quarter and also won us some money by uh, hitting the over. Oh, nice. Yeah. I had a, had a nice, uh, I had a nice parlay that I let fall through the, uh, through my fingers uh, last night. Yeah, I did. I did too. Notre Dame came through big. They covered the 55 and a half. So props to them. Remember good teams win, great teams cover. So (laughs) suck it. Yeah. You got that point. Jared, anything else before we, uh, send the people off um i'm i think i'm pretty good uh i might i might go die now because that mexican food that i had before we hopped on is i think it might kill me (laughs) (laughs) all right guys well this was a fantastic thank you for listening to the feeling soxy sunday after edition the football recap sunday after thank you guys for listening to this episode and we will be back later in the week Love you. Love you guys.